Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. I'm George. And we are homebrewers from the Chicago area, and we like to make beer and talk about beer. And, uh, yeah, things... Just all things beer making. All things beer making, as as the intro says. <laughs> well, first off, th- I want to thank everybody for uh, for joining us. We've got a good show planned for you today. Um, we've got uh, two different brews reviewed uh, for uh, per each of us, and we've got a uh, live sampling that we're going to review live. We're going to talk about, in our second segment, a pomegranate-flavored Hepaweizen that is just getting finished up right now. Uh, this was a learning experience for us. And we've got some good stuff to talk about with it. And in our lesson, we're going to talk about all things yeast. George, how's your week been, sir? It's just getting started, and I'm ready for it to be done. We're we're going to take a little bit of a departure from from beer this weekend and try some bourbon. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. There will be some beer s- squeezed in there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 But yes, no, I, I'm I agree. I'm excited about it too. Yeah, a little little change of pace. Learn a little bit about bourbon. Something that I know little to nothing about. Yeah, it should be it should be fun. See if we can get a spiral so we can uh, make some bourbon infused beer at the house. You know what? That's a great idea. Yeah. All we're all we're missing is the barrels. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So we can get you know you get those little spiral deals that are that that you can infuse in the bourbon and then. Okay. Bob's your uncle. Or you know what? We could uh, we could just go all out. We can make thirty two gallons of beer, and we can come, <laughs> come into a, a wooden barrel of our own, and voila, our, our, the, a nice place to brew house just became a barrel aged beer house. I suppose that we could. <laughs> it might take a little while, <laughs> yeah, but I suppose exactly. that we could. Yeah, yeah. Things to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's go into our first segment. We're going to talk about uh, other brews reviewed. I've got a couple of beers to talk about. George has a couple as well. Mm-hmm. George, you want to kick us off? Sure. I talked uh, before about a beer from my hometown of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, called Lancaster Milk Stout. And it is still, to this day, one of my favorite milk stouts that I've ever tried. Um, however, I'm going to talk about a more summery-type beer that they had, um, the Strawberry Wheat the Lancaster Brewing Company Strawberry Wheat. This is a perfect time to be talking about this, considering the brew that we're going to talk about in segment two. A- absolutely. Um, it was a 4.7%, uh, 11 Play-Doh beer. Uh, IBUs were 25, so it was pretty low on the bitterness, and SRM is 7.5, so a fairly light beer, standard for your wheat. Um, and, you know... It really was very strong in the strawberry as well as the wheat characteristics. It was a good balance of both of them. Uh, I remember a good amount of head retention, and and because of that, it was very uh, almost creamy for 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 a wheat, which is a little unusual. But it was very refreshing, and the strawberry accent was really good for for a summertime beer. Now you just mentioned a couple of things that uh, that I very much enjoy. I enjoy strawberries. I enjoy strawberry. I I, rem- I, I enjoy wheat beers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this this one kind of intrigues me. Um, who who's the company that makes this? It's Lancaster Brewing Company. They're right in downtown Lancaster. Um, we went down there. We went to this very kind of new school retro barber shop um and got a straight razor shave and and my haircut and everything <laughs> it was before my grandparents anniversary party so we all wanted to look our best but right down the street was Lancaster Brewing Company and I just couldn't pass up going in there to to try try it out and see what they had and this is one of the ones they had on tap so, you you would be uh, you would enjoy the fact that their milk stout that I rave about so much on tap t- um, 24 hours a day, 365. It's nice. it's it's a year-round beer, which is, I know, a little bit of a rarity for uh, the dark beers. Is this place reminiscent of a place like Friends of Ours type uh, kind of run? Is this is this a small brewery that just runs a tap room, or is this a larger they operation? They have regional distribution. Okay. Uh, right. they, they've actually made they've made a pretty good name for themselves. They're not by any means like a Goose Island or anything like that, but 
uh, in the region, they've become pretty popular. That's awesome. Yeah. Good deal. I recently traveled to Northern California, uh, had some vacation time from work, got to visit some wineries up there. Uh, I knew nothing about wine going into it other than I like to drink it. Uh, I learned a little bit about winemaking while I was there, mostly just you know got to enjoy the sights and uh, had some good wine. I did make it a point to visit one brewery, and uh, I thought uh, I thought it was kind of noteworthy. And they had a they had a beer on tap there that was one of the most unique beers I've ever had, and I'll I'll talk about it here. The name of the uh, brewery is called Napa Smith Brewery. It's in a town just to the south of Napa, California, within within one town. Uh, the beer that I had is called Hop Java. Uh, I, I guess going going back to a little bit more about the brewery, I believe this brewery has been around for about three years. They had a small tap room that they, I believe they said had just been open a matter of months oh. at, uh, at the point that we made the visit. Uh, the room was very small. It was, the place was very reminiscent of some places we, we know here in Illinois. You know, just a very... Uh, uh, very local type feel, just just a good warm feeling. You know, the the people behind the bar were very knowledgeable, very friendly, and it was uh, it was a very cool place. I, I would absolutely go back on a future trip to Napa. Anyways, the Hop Java. Let me uh, let me read some numbers about that. Hop Java is a American pale ale, uh, alcohol by volume of six point seven percent, an IBU of forty five. This is an American pale ale infused with uh, with coffee beans. Oh. And two things you would not picture going together. No. There was a very, very nice balance that was created from this. And it, it was just, it was a good, mellow, warm weather beer. That's, that, that's the best way I can describe it. I've never tasted anything like it. It was very unique, and I really enjoyed it. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not, I not, not quite a coffee beer, not quite a pale ale either. Little low on the IPA. You said it was an APA, right? APA, yeah, four and forty-five IBUs. Definitely, okay. definitely lower on the scale. Lower on the scale, but you know, I think with with adding the coffee, if they did it higher, it probably would have clashed. Probably, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Huh? So, sounds interesting. Yeah. So hats off to uh, to Napa Smith Brewery for uh, for coming up with that. That was a unique one and job well done. Good. So, another one, my second one, is, again, from my travels back east. Um, There is a little place called Iron Hill Brewery. Uh, This is right near, um, right outside of downtown Lancaster. And this this place is kind of reminiscent of Emmett's here in Downers Grove. It's a... Like a brew pub? It's a brew pub, yeah. They serve actually pretty good food, um, and they have beers on tap and whatnot and so they had this deal where you could go in you could get two medium pizzas and two uh growlers for i think 40 bucks so we did that and um came back and there was uh, a handful of us and you know it was a good night you know a gallon of beer and two pizzas what do you what could could go wrong absolutely (laughs) so one of the ones that we got was the White Iron Wit. It was a uh, it, it, the original gravity on that is um, ten forty eight, which makes it a four and a half percent beer. Uh, the color is very low, three SRM, meaning it was a very light beer, and the IBUs were again a very low seventeen. Um, so there was really not a whole lot of hop character at all was an unfiltered beer, so it was a little hazy, um, but it was a Belgian-style wheat beer, uh, and very light-bodied. did have some spices in it, as I remember. I think there was, um, if I remember correctly, some cardamom, uh, and, uh, and I, I want to say cinnamon, but I might be wrong about that, because it also had orange infused in it just very subtly like orange peel uh infused in it so it was it it was a little bit more complex of a flavor than i would have expected in a pale um wheat beer but it was very very good and they did a very good job of balancing those those flavors there's a lot going on there's a lot going on cinnamon orange i might be wrong about the cinnamon when i when i when, when i have orange my brain reads cinnamon a little bit for some reason so that might i might be wrong about that but it did have some spices and it definitely did have 
orange flavor to it. And but not pl- not it wasn't an orange beer. It was just a little accent of orange. And it was a great base beer to to try to yeah. add elements of that of that out there. For sure. That sounds really good. It was very good. Oh, not two beers. Now I'm 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 thirsty for both these beers you're talking about. <laughs> wow. Good stuff we got going here. Okay, um, in my glass right now is a Scotch Ale slash We Heavy that that we made a couple months ago. Uh, I believe we've talked on past shows about my enjoyment of this style, and I will echo that a little bit. This is very quickly becoming my style of choice. Mine too. It's you know it's a good We Heavy. It's really hard to beat. You've got you got a high ABV. You've got sweetness left uh, from the uh, from a higher final gravity, higher original gravity. It's just, it's just solid. You know, it's the maltiness that I like. Is you know, mm-hmm. the whole world is hop obsessed right now. But yes. I really like yeah. the 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 maltiness of the Scotch ale. The good caramel flavors that are that are brought in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Agreed. So I'm going to talk about a Scotch ale. <laughs> I, I had two on my list uh, today, and uh, and one of them is going to get pushed to the next show. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, a Scotch ale I had recently that I really enjoyed. At the time of this recording, it is the summer of 2016, and this is prime time for summer beer festivals. Many uh, many cities will have similar events where they will organize a bunch of breweries, uh, some of them local, some of them national. They will organize a big area where uh, a bunch of tents are set up, Breweries are set up, kegs are tapped, and the public is invited to join. Uh, usually one fee will get you a sample glass and a given number of samples from the breweries that, uh, that choose to attend. Um, it's becoming a very, uh, very big thing over the last couple of years, and I've been to a number of them, and it's a lot of fun. Well, I ent- attended one just recently. Uh, it, was, uh, it was on the north side of Chicago at a site called Lincoln Park Zoo. It was an event called Brew to be Wild. Um, it was well organized. There was a lot of breweries out there. Uh, it was it was a great place to go. Um, the uh, problem I have, and, and I, I'm carrying a frustration about about the overall um, beer scene right now, in the fact that I am a person that very much enjoys beers of a darker variety, such as the Wee Heavy that I was just talking about, and um, at events like this and breweries alike. I'm sad to say that there really does appear to be a shortage of dark beers out there. Folks, he's underplaying this. If I'm going to say that he has a chip on his shoulder about anything in particular, it would be this. Yes, yes. No, I am 100% serious about this. Anyway, it should come as no surprise that uh, this festival did have a shortage of dark beers, but the one dark beer that I did find, of course, became my favorite beer of the festival by far. And I'm going to talk about this. This is a beer called Maltopia, which is made uh, made from a brewery out of San Jose, California, called Hermitage Brewing Company. Uh, it uh, comes in at uh, 9% uh, alcohol by volume. I've tried to identify the uh, uh, IBU units for this, and I'm not able to, uh, to find it, unfortunately. Um, what uh, What's most memorable about this is just it was a very sweet caramel malt-forward flavor, there was little to no bitterness that uh, that could be that, that could be found within the taste of it. Um, it was a thinner body, I, I will say, despite the higher alcohol by volume. You really would never pick up it. It was a nine percent beer. It was it went down smooth. It was sweet. It's everything that I like about beer, and it was by far the best beer of the festival. Oh, I've had this. This is very good. You have? Yeah. Where'd you find it? Beer market. Really? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> what, what what time is it? Can I make a run? <laughs> is it too late to make a run? Yeah, it was on tap. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty five, by the way. Twenty five IBUs. Mm-hmm. That that sounds about right. I, I mean, there was there was little to no bitterness in that glass. Yeah. No. No. That I agree wholeheartedly. I'm glad to hear that it's that it's out there. I was I was worried that was a beer I'm not going to find again. Being a brewery from you know San Jose, California, don't don't know how much how much distribution they had. Right. All right. Well, uh, bring on bring on more Maltopia. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go into our third one, and uh, it is sample time. 
George, uh, apparently upon review of his refrigerator earlier today, <laughs> discovered a beer that uh, we're not quite clear of about how this beer came to be, but uh, we decided uh, on a recording day, let's, let's pop this open and, and see what we think. All right, so on this it says it's a wit beer, Weiss beer, uh, Blanche de Is it, Bruxelles. We, we got a couple different languages on this can. We absolutely do. And to be honest, this is one of those beers that I have no idea where it came from, which is both terrifying and <laughs> intriguing. Because um, I never have canned beer in my house. I always have bottled beer. It's not out of any particular snobbery, just never happens. And I never really have a canned beer in my house that looks to be a man urinating on hops. Wait, what? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I so, didn't see that before. There is a lot going on on this can that um, I don't understand at all. But let's give it a shot. <laughs> all right. Oh, very light. Carbonation looks good. Carbonation, yeah. The color on this is very, very light. Yeah, almost clear. This, this, just pouring this, I would have guessed this was a cider. Well, yeah, or or like a pilsner or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's see. We have some vital statistics on the back here. Uh, four percent, alcohol. So definitely a session type beer. Okay. Uh, it is definitely made in Belgium. Beer brewed with spices. So that's all I got. So let's try it. All right. <laughs> it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Yeah. That is much more complex than I expected. Yeah. All right. So definitely tasting a lighter beer. For sure. Um, but definitely tasting some back notes of spices and fruit in there, too. Like um, The front end really feels like... Something like a major brewery's Pilsner. Sure. You, it's really on the back end where you catch all of those more sweeter notes. Yeah. So it's definitely, yeah, definitely more sweeter sweeter than you would find. And it, it while it does go down like a major company Pilsner um, type beer, it's definitely not. There's more complex flavorings to it in the back. Think like a um, a Shandy. A much lighter shandy. That's a, that, that's that's a great comparison. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know where this came from, so I don't know if I'll be able to find it again. I don't know if it's down at like Binnie's or something, but well, I would definitely try again. I would too. Beer Blanche White Beer. A Belgian 4.5% beer. Yep. Hmm. I would have more of this too. This is a good find. Yeah. 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 Very good. That was our Brews Revered. Yeah. We, uh, as we try more beers, we will uh, certainly have more to report. This was, uh, this was good. I like, I had some good beers since our last recording, so I'm excited to talk about these. And this, honestly, just talking about these makes me want to go out and try more. So look, look forward to future segments on this. I, I'm kind of right there with you. I kind of want to go out and try, try, try some commercial beers yeah which is an odd statement for me but yeah oh wow i kind of do huh yeah get some different flavors and different variety and yeah yeah it's just one like a a flight of surprise me you know what maybe maybe that's a special episode maybe maybe we 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 dedicate a whole episode to that like a like a flight of of those those different beers i'd like to go to go to to Binnie's or world of beer or somewhere like that and just buy random cans off the (laughs) out of the fridge and and open them up and 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 that's what we do that's a great idea (laughs) all right okay all right uh this is this is uh this is episode 13 uh listeners come back for episode 14 because you you, you know you know what's coming okay we're going to we're going to take a quick break we're going to uh we're going to segue into our second segment we're going to talk about our pomegranate flavored heavens so stick with us
And we're back. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. We are going into segment two. We're going to talk about our most recent brew. We recently made a pomegranate-flavored Hefeweizen. Uh, this is uh, a slight modification from a beer that we made uh, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about the uh, original recipe from uh, from last year, kind of what we what we learned from that? Yeah, so the original recipe from last year was uh, very wheat heavy, as as it would be, um, and you know, we we did learn a lot from that. We learned the importance of rice hulls when it comes to um, brewing with a wheat beer because of stuck sparge and things like that. We learned the importance of fruit infusion in the secondary and how it's not quite as easy as you would expect it to be and takes significantly more fruit than you would expect it to. And the way this took shape was we had the we had the thought that extracting a bunch of seeds of uh, from from natural pomegranates was going to be the way to do this. Mm-hmm. And we used a pretty healthy quantity or at least what we thought was a pretty healthy quantity of pomegranate like seeds. 6 or 8 pomegranates worth of seeds. Yeah, exactly. One would think right. that's going to get the job done. And unfortunately, it did not. It, it didn't show up at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it turned out to just be a solid wheat beer. Which we felt good about. Which we felt very good about. But, you know, just unfortunately, absolutely no pomegranate flavor whatsoever. Right. So we made a few modifications this time. Uh, we, we adjusted the recipe a little bit to try to get an even better wheat beer. Um, we added in some more rice hulls. Instead of using half a pound, we used a pound. We used. Let's talk about the rice hulls for a second. Sure. The uh, the the benefit to using rice hulls, there's a huge advantage to using it in a mash, just because it's going to smooth out your your drainage mm-hmm. uh, after the mash is complete, tremendously. Sure. A, a wheat tends to have a much more thick mash. It's almost more oatmeal than you know your usual kind of barley type mash. Right. Which is where the rice hulls come in. The rice hulls kind of absorb those extra starches thin things out a little bit and allow it to run more like a liquid than than an oatmeal and it really helps it out and so it doesn't really add anything to the flavor and doesn't really adjust the it has a little bit of grain absorption but not much doesn't really affect the the uh the mash all that much so we threw about like i said about a pound of rice hulls in to help with the the sparge and make sure that we're not um having to uh go to any extra lengths to try to extract the liquid out of there. Right. So we had the rice hulls, and then we put um, the, we used a red malt wheat, which red malt versus white malt is a bit counterintuitive, we found out. Because, ironically, that red malt has a lower SRM than white malt. Mm-hmm. To your point, counterintuitive. Yeah. Who would have thought? You'd think, name like red malt, you're going to have... A darker beer when it comes out, but new. It's the other way around. My guess is it's named that way for some other reason. I'd be interested to know. I would be too, and I might be looking that up later. Yeah. Um, we then added uh, pale ale uh, from Dingamans and Kara Eight. Uh, actually, I believe we didn't do Kara Eight. We used a Ten Lovabond caramel. Very similar, slightly different. Um, this beer only had a half ounce of Tetanang and a half ounce of Cascade. So a little bit mild on the hops, a little bit mild on the malt also. Yeah. You're looking for those kind of weedy type characters and things. Right. So, right. um, this is a beer that's marked by typically low alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not going to be real heavy and it's not going to be real hoppy. Um, it's a good base beer for adding things like f- like fruit flavor, which we experimented with on, yeah. on, on both of our brews on this one. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, we're looking at 13 IBUs and about 5% alcohol is what we came out with at right. the end. Um, and then we finished it off with a Wisson um, yeast from Y Yeast Labs, the 3068. And I say that in that detail. Um, we'll go over that in a little bit. Um, but then, after we did the mash, we did the boil, we put it into the, we allowed it to ferment, and then we moved it over into secondary. Which is where the fruit flavor is going to come in. Right. So, knowing that natural pomegranate seeds 
would not work from our experiment last year. The question becomes, what can we do differently that is going to work this time? So there's two schools of thought about what you, uh, what you can do. One school of thought is to add puree, which usually comes in a pretty sizable can from a brew supply store. And uh, it's, it, what puree is, is it's basically a more dense uh, version of natural fruit. Right. So we gave it a shot. So we bought some uh, pomegranate puree at a very high price <laughs> and uh, threw it in the secondary. Um, what, what definitely did happen from this is there was some added fermentation that did take place. Um, and it makes sense because there's, there's some added sugars within the, within the puree that we learned are fermentable. Uh, case For in sure. point. Yeah, and if you guys uh, check out our Instagram page, uh, Nice Place to Brew, um, we're, we're being more active about that when it comes to videos and things. And one of the ones I took was uh, about the secondary and showing the fact that even the secondary, we don't usually see a whole lot of reactions. Secondary is all about clearing up the beer. But with this being the, with the puree being added and some suspended yeast being added on top of it, I had another layer of foam on top, and I had um, activity in the airlock. And so, I mean, to your point, I mean, it, it, we did see some extra fermentation. So we actually do have some extra alcohol of an unknown quantity on mm-hmm. top of our, you know, what we got during primary fermentation. Right. That's the mystery in this. We did have the same final gravity, but we know we have some added alcohol. The true number is a bit of a mystery, though. Unfortunately, to my slight dismay, um, upon the first taste of the post-secondary uh, pomegranate-flavored Hepaweizen, the puree by itself does not appear to have added a significant amount of flavor into the Hepaweizen. It definitely did change the coloration. Yes. it Because it, 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 the puree was very, like, blood red. And so it definitely changed the coloration of the beer and kind of geared it more towards a pomegranate coloration. Um, and it did add some flavor, much more than just the pomegranate seeds by themselves. Right. Um, so to kind of counteract that, what we did was we threw a uh, bottle of all-natural pomegranate extract right into the keg and then racked on top of it. And we did that just within the couple hours of uh, of this recording, so we will find out in about a week how uh, how that takes off. Yeah. So, if there's anything that's going to create pomegranate flavored beer, it's the two things that we've done on this one. Yeah. You know, between the puree and the extract, you're you're doing the right stuff. You know, you're you're following you know the, all the right schools of thought as far as to creating you know the flavor that you want within this beer. Yeah, and and, and one of the things that you know, it's kind of taught us because this is our now our third beer we've tried to infuse fruit into. Yes. And one of the things we've learned is that is not an easy process. If you have a good fruit beer at a commercial brewery, those guys know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and they, they've, you know, added a whole ton. I mean, hopefully you're getting one where they're adding natural fruit, natural fruit flavors, purees, or, or what have you. Um, but those guys know what they're doing. I'd be interested in talking to a commercial brewer about that same topic, what they do to create the uh, the fruit flavors within beer. I'm not 100% certain that they're using natural fruit. I could be wrong about that, but I'm not convinced. I don't know. I mean, we've had some really good uh, think about um, Matt's imperial uh, stout with the cherries. That was all done with natural Good rainier cherries. Good I mean, point. it is yeah. possible. Yeah. It's just not as easy as you would think it would be. It's yeah. not, you know, let's throw some fruit in and, and that'll, you know, because the flavor of beer, unless you're talking about like a Pilsner or something, which just wouldn't make sense to have fruit on top of oh, it. Oh, for sure. Is, um, I mean, it, it is a flavor. And, and you, what you're trying to do when you're adding fruit is complementing that flavor but in some ways overcoming that flavor but the question becomes in a commercial setting is that happening with things like puree and extract and not with natural fruit or is it some combination with special ratios of of all three could be or is there or is there factors that maybe we don't even know about also true yeah 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 
So, I mean, it's something that we're definitely going to uh, investigate further. Unfortunately, we chose one of the more expensive uh, yeah. fruits too. Yeah, uh, we did to to but, try to uh, try this with on but, both uh, occasions. You know, yeah. if you buy pomegranates at a store, it's not a cheap purchase either. Right. So, uh, so. so going from that to uh, to puree, which ships with uh, with which ships within ice packs, which adds significantly to your shipping cost. Yeah, th- this was an expensive five gallon batch. So the the, the, uh, the you know we have we f- quite often follow the go big or go home philosophy, but that's um, right, only way to go. <laughs> but if if you're gonna try it out, I would recommend trying it out with a very potent, very um, strong flavored fruit. Um, and one that is readily available in your area uh, at a decent cost because you're going to need a lot of it. Um, strawberries are really good for that. Um, cherries, if if you can find them in season, are, are really good for that. Definitely go for the more sweet ones than the more tart ones. Um, and, and, al- and also ones that have that have less of a pronounced flavor like blueberries. Right. Yeah, I mean, blueberries, pomegranates... Um, you know the, the like lychee the, those kinds of things are gonna they're they're gonna be hard to infuse those kinds of flavors in right yeah that's a great point what um i've had a number of wheat beers as of late and um i guess in preparation for the project that we just did mm-hmm. um let's talk about a few other elements that we found within other wheat beers because um, the wheat beer style is a great style to be creative with, you know, to try to it is. try to create flavors. Um, you could use spices just just as easily within this style. You absolutely could. You can use spices. Uh, the and we'll we'll talk about this in a bit, but the the brewing and fermentation process of it of by itself can add some banana flavors, banana esters to the to mm-hmm. the beer. That's kind of part of the Hefeweizen style. Right. So you'll have those banana flavors with no actual banana in it at all, um, but those flavors kind of infused into it. And so those kinds of things you can add. I've seen uh, banana bread wheat where they add like the banana bread spices on top of it and really accentuate those banana esters. I've had that one and it's really good. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. It, it, it it takes a little bit of um, creativity in the brewing process cuz you got to stress out those the that yeast a little bit to ex- produce those extra esters. Oh yeah. And you, and you got to add in the right balance of spices and things, but you know, those ones are that can be very good. What uh, what other types of beers are on the market do you- Come come to mind when you think of uh, wheat beers that have kind of gotten creative like that. When I think of wheat beers that have gotten creative, a lot of times, uh, you know, I do run into fruit infused, which is why we originally thought of mm-hmm. the 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 wheat for a fruit infused. The, like the one I spoke of uh, during the brews reviewed, the strawberry wheat. Those guys went to great pains to infuse strawberry in a very aggressive way in that oh yeah um it was almost it almost overtook the wheat flavors that if they had gone you know that much further it would have been too much okay and uh but you know in that way it was a good it was a good balance but if they had gone a little bit further which i'm sure would be easy to do you know you can almost get to be too much okay okay yeah so I, i i a lot of times i think of that kind of fruit beer infusion. Just trying to think of other styles that are that are kind of good bases to do things like this, and we'll we'll close this topic. Other on, styles on this point. of uh, we of, did this before. Yeah. The, the other brew that was alluded to earlier in the conversation was a uh, amber ale. Mm-hmm. That was a style that we tried to infuse some apple flavors into with with limited success. Also, um, I, I would still echo that I think an amber ale is a is a good base. It is. Um, uh, is is one to choose if you're you're going to try something like this. Um, a pilsner would not be. No, and your more hoppy varieties are not going to be. Yes, you're, you're definitely for sure. you're definitely not looking at you know your super malty or your super hoppy beers like a Scotch ale, not so much. Right. Uh, a stout, although I've like I said I've seen some exceptions with the cherry infused stout and things, but that's going to be a really difficult flavor to 
compliment because you have those chocolate and the roasty and the almost smoky notes in there it's going to be tough to add fruit to that you're going to need a very aggressive fruit right um your wheats your um your ambers Mm -hmm. your um let's see what other styles maybe a wit i think a wit could could take to this yeah that's in the family of wheat beers that is in the family of wheat beers so Belgian maybe de- depending on uh depending on how how uh how powerful of uh of an ABV that you're shooting for. If you don't shoot too high, it's not a bad choice. Saison. Saison. Saison's a very good one yeah. actually. Yeah, that's a good that's a good pick. Saison in a in a beer de garde um I think would be good. A red ale, you could possibly do some things with. Yeah, yeah that's not a bad it's, thought. It's, it's a um, yeah. Red, and, red and ale is versatile. There, there's a there's a lot that that, mm-hmm. that can be encompassed there. Oh, and of course we're forgetting the lambic, which is a which is a sour style, which is why we're forgetting it. Oh, um, that is very popular for infusing fruit into. Uh, and and like I said, a beer de garde is another one. It's kind of a, a French style, similar to a saison, but it is uh, it's it's a good one to add some character and some notes into. Even our Belgian, we've added coriander into before. That's a great point. Yes, we have, and the <laughs> coriander comes through very nicely. Yeah, yeah. so it takes a little bit of balance, but it's one of those things that we're playing with more because. Uh, you know, we want to try to figure out how to make our beers more complex. Yes. Uh, and sometimes that's adding more different varieties of barley and, and wheat and things like that. And sometimes that's adding adjuncts like spices and fruits and sugars and things like that. So Go big or go home. Go big or go like, home. Like we said. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm fully on board with that, uh, with that philosophy. I, I mean, yes. One of the one of the great things about beer making, in my opinion, is the platform to be creative with with things like this. And in a homebrew setting, especially when you're making five to ten gallon batches, this is really the setting to to experiment. It does, you it, it, but you have to you just have to be aware that sometimes it doesn't work out. That's true. That's you true. Know? Yeah. You I know? mean, I mean, take something away from every project that you do. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this turned into a great conversation. Yes. Yeah. This this was a fun beer to make. The uh, the pomegranate Hefeweizen definitely learned a lot. And yeah, this this was a this is a great topic to talk about. Yep. Okay, we're gonna take our last break. We're gonna move into our last segment. We are going to talk about yeast uh, from uh, from pretty much the uh, the basics to uh, to a couple of uh, couple of hints. We've got some uh, we've got some good information to share. This this will be uh, this will be good and uh, stick with us. In five, four, three. <laughs> Welcome back to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason. What the. Is it recording? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's moving. I just I've got the screen pulled uh, pulled back. Oh, okay. So sorry. Go ahead. In Go again. Five, four, three. Welcome back to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason. I'm George, and we are here to talk about yeast, our disgusting little friend. Uh, yeah, disgusting little <laughs> friend. It is. Um, to begin, I'm going to talk about. I'm going to start by giving a very broad top-level definition of what yeast is. Yeast is a natural fungus, and its function within beer making is to eat sugars. Uh, Going back to our first episode, um, we talked about uh, gravity, and uh, gravity notes, specifically starting gravity and final gravity, um, reference directly the... um, the, the yeast and its uh, and its function within beer making, which is to eat sugars. So just to g- give a couple of, uh, of round numbers, let's say we have a beer that has a starting gravity of 1050 and a final gravity of, of 1010. Well, the difference between 1050 and 1010 represents the amount of sugars within, within that dense uh, uh, beer liquid that the yeast was able to eat up. And the difference with uh, and the consumption of those sugars 
is uh, what's left in the beer is ethyl alcohol, which gives your alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it, it does as it's doing that, though, it creates that ethyl alcohol. It also creates um, CO2, carbon dioxide. Right, which is why it's important to have either a blow-off or an airlock on the top of your container because that CO2 has got to go somewhere. Right, and, you know, if it doesn't, Boom. <laughs> <You> know, <kind> of, <laughs> we've heard horror stories. This hasn't happened to us, but, uh, you know, airlocks getting clogged and things. It actually has happened yes, to us. Yes, it has. Yes. Where airlock, our airlock got cl- clogged and, and it literally blew off the top of the unit and my basement was uh, was quite the mess. Which one? The was that the double IPA? No, that was the Belgian. Okay. Well, another yeah. <laughs> high gravity beer. That, that, that would make sense. Yep, that that yep. is a ideal place where something like that would happen. Yeah, so yeah, so it creates alcohol and carbon dioxide and that's right. its job. Right. Um let's let's talk about forms. Um yeast will come in a couple of different forms. Uh one is a is a dry uh is a dry type yeast which will usually be in a in a small uh flexible pack. Um it's unhydrated so it's so it's usually uh small in, in its contents. Mm-hmm. Um my understanding with winemaking is it's kind of the go-to yeast for winemaking. It does have function within uh, within beer making as well, provided that you're hydrating it properly or combining that with another yeast method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, when how we've used yeast as as uh, when we uh, dry yeast rather when we moved off of the uh, the the kits that you get because a lot of times dry yeast comes in those kits. Okay. Um, when we moved off of that, we used it as a, a bolster to our wet yeast if for particularly high gravity beers. Right. Um, but you can use dry yeast as, as as a standalone unit, and a lot of the recipes that you'll find out there, and a lot of the kits you'll find out there have dry yeast inside of it. Um, there's two different schools of thought as to using dry yeast. One is a direct pitch. You just pitch the dry yeast right on top of the liquid. You let it rehydrate and go to go to work. Um, and then there's rehydrating it, which is just take water. It's about 90 degrees, and you put the yeast inside that water, and you let it just kind of rehydrate and start to create some new cells. Um, this just kind of wakes it up, so that way when you pour it, when you pitch it into the beer you're not shocking the beer and not shocking the yeast rather and uh, creating some bad off flavors or stressing it out too much and having the yeast die right. before it's able to do what it's what it needs to do right so let's talk about the other form and that's uh, liquid yeast probably a more common go-to form for beer making mm-hmm. um, both liquid and dry yeast will have many, many, many different styles, and we'll talk about that uh, later on in the segment. But um, liquid yeast being already hydrated is more likely the way that most uh, most beer makers will go. Mm-hmm. And... It comes in two different styles. Oh, oh, uh, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It comes yes. in two different styles. One is the is the quintessential smack pack that uh, a lot of the uh, uh, home brewers are familiar with. That you'll have a uh, a yeast nutrient bag with the yeast inside of it in a smaller bag. You literally smack the bag, and do not be afraid to smack this bag. It, it, it's, oh yeah, no, you it's got it, It's double packed. There's a reason for the smacking, and right. what you're trying to do is you're is you're breaking an interior layer within the package. Right, you gotta you gotta break that, so you gotta smack it real good, and give it a good shake, and just let it sit out for about you know probably two hours. You know, it's do it at the beginning of your brew day. And the, um, and the combined contents between both of those elements are you've got nutrients within that. Um, Within that package, along with the yeast that are that are now just starting to wake up once that pack is pack is smacked. Right, and like we said, it creates ethyl alcohol and CO two. So that little bit of nutrient is going to um, wake up that yeast and start to have it create those two things. So by the time you're ready to pitch your yeast, that smack pack is puffed out. Right, and it's it's about twice the size of what it what it was when you bought it. Right. And it's it's actually rather impressive. It's not under pressure. You don't have to worry about it when you're opening it, but it is definitely puffed out. It's 
waking up. It's waking up. <laughs> so the other side is the is the test tube. Yes. So the test tube is the yeast is all crammed at the bottom, and you have the the liquid at the top, which is the nutrients. Correct. It's, it, there's a little bit of nutrient in there, but the idea behind the test tube is that you don't really need as much of the nutrient. There's not that reaction. Okay. So All you right. want to make sure that it's warmed up, but you don't really give it a good shake until you're ready to pitch it. Right. So right before you're ready to pitch it, you you shake the crap out of the test tube and make sure that all the yeast gets suspended in the liquid, and then you pitch it into your carboy. So your shaking is doing essentially what the smacking is doing with the uh, with the packs. Yeah, yeah, it's resuspending the yeast and kind of waking it up a little bit. Okay, mm-hmm. very good. Well, uh, this uh, there's a couple other uh, distinctions within yeast that are that are worth noting. Um, there's three categories of yeast: um, ale yeast, which is your uh, yeast that's going to ferment beer at higher level temperatures. Um, uh, I'll talk about specific temperatures later in the in the segment. Uh, lager yeast, which is going to uh, ferment at lower uh, temperatures, usually in refrigeration type uh, type settings. And last, I'll also mention wild yeast. So any of you um, ambitious brewers out there that have ambitions of making sour beers, <laughs> this is this is an area that that is commonly explored. I'm not the I'm not a sour beer guy, so I, I can't say I have any experience on that front. I'm not either, but I'm intrigued by the concept because you literally create yeah. what's called a cool ship, which is a exposed fermenter that you leave outside, and you le- and you let the wild yeast come in. Is that how it works? That's how it works. Oh, it's wow. an exposed fermenter that you that there's wild yeast that's all over in the air all the time. Okay, and it'll it'll get into the beer and it'll start the fermentation process that way. I want to try it one time just because I'm super curious, but I'm pretty sure I'll hate the beer. <laughs> just because I don't like sours. Um, but, you know, another important, uh, a fun little note about the ale versus the lager yeast. The the ale yeast, yes, is a warmer fermentation beer, but it's also a top fermentation beer. It ferments oh, at the great, top yes, of the beer. That's a great point. Yeah. Whereas the lager ferments at the bottom, which is part of the reason that it, uh, it needs the... The different temperatures and such is because the, the where it's going to get its activity, how much activity you're going to see, and what the temperature tolerance of that yeast is. So if you're using a lager yeast in this example, mm-hmm. you're going to pitch the yeast first and then rack the beer on top of it. No, you can pitch. You can pitch after you rack your beer, okay. like you normally would. But that beer will settle to the bottom. Okay. And ferment down there. I see. Okay. Whereas a an ale yeast. When you look at an ale yeast fermenting, you'll see yeast swirling all throughout the beer. Right. It's a much more active fermentation, and, it, and, and that's why it's considered a top fermentation. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that's a great point. Well, we, we can't talk about yeast and fermentation without talking about temperatures because it really is a crucial element. And we've, we've, we've talked about it partially just uh, talking about the ale versus... Um, versus lager um, yeast and fermentation. And one of the core differences with that is the is the temperatures, where uh, ale yeast, uh, ale fermentation is going to take place usually at temperatures between mid-60s and low-70s. And your um, uh, lager yeast is going to ferment at approximately refrigeration-type temperatures. Mm-hmm. It's important to note that every different um, strain of yeast will have its own unique temperature range where it's going to ferment at a healthy level. And pay attention to each of those packs or, uh, or packets, uh, depending on what you're using when you buy it. Each one of these yeasts will, be, will have a unique range, and it will all be specified within its pack. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you definitely do. And, you know, it's, it's going to have a range of about 5 to 10 degrees. Right. And depending on where you are within that range, that yeast is going to act a little bit differently. Right. You know, like especially with the ale yeast, which we have much more uh, experience with, when you're at a higher temperature, you're going to get much more aggressive fermentation, mm-hmm. and but you're also going to create more esters and um, 
you know, you're going to stress the yeast out a little bit. So you have to a slightly higher potential for off flavors and things. That was a, that was a thing I was going to note as well. And that's, that's the risk that you're going to run by operating outside of those given temperatures of the yeast is you're going to create some off flavors that your beers doesn't ideally need. Mm -hmm. And, and what the, what the drinkers not going to ideally want either. So, so yeah, it's, it's an important thing to pay attention to. Um, let's talk about the major manufacturers out there. Sure. Um, I've I've gotten uh, I've got four different manufacturers written down. There's there's many of many different manufacturers that are that are actively selling uh, yeast uh, in in beer type settings. I'm going to mention just the four. I know there's others, but I'll mention at least what I what I understand to be the big four: uh, Omega, Y Yeast, uh, Safe Ale, and White Labs. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, at least, seem like the big four. At, le- at least in the they, brew supplies, the brew supply stores that I go to, that those are the go- go-to companies in their supply. For sure, I mean, Omega itself is a is a name that a lot of people probably won't um, recognize because it is a Chicago brew, uh, yeast lab, right. and it is um, pretty much gained exception acceptance rather regionally. Right, uh, it hasn't really gone out in the national stage much, but. Y yeast and White Labs and Safe Ale, absolutely, you'll find them everywhere. Right. right. Pretty much, if you find a dry yeast, it's going to be a Safe Ale yeast. Yeah, at I least mean, at in, least from what I've what it, I've seen in the brewing aspect, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's also worth noting that the uh, th- there is a significant cost difference between dry yeast and wet yeast. You'll mm-hmm. pay you will pay considerably more for wet yeast. Um, not to say that it's that it's not well worth the extra money to be to buy liquid yeast, but um, th- there's going to be more to do if if you're going to be totally reliant on dry yeast. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think uh, it's it's important to note uh, about properly hydrating yeast if you're if you're using exclusively dry. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely recommend um, rehydrating your yeast before you pitch it, right. and you make sure you do that in a sanitized container. Um, we use some star sand in the container um, before you put the yeast in because you're going to be doing that post boil. Right. So you're going to want to make sure everything is all sanitized. And everything post boil. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, I guess no top no topic about uh, yeast would be complete without talking about yeast starters. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeast starters are, you know, a, a fun little thing. You know. Okay. So. There's an alcohol tolerance, along with the temperature tolerance, there's an alcohol tolerance on the yeast packs that you'll get. They'll say they can do up to a certain level of gravity or up to a certain alcohol percentage. Um, and you you really shouldn't go beyond that if with those yeast packs because it will stress the yeast out too much and you'll, get, you'll again, run risk for those off flavors. And one thing you can do in that instance is you can double up your yeast. Mm-hmm. You can Absolutely. you can combine or or just or just get to get two packs of the same ones. If you and mm-hmm. if if you double that up, you're going to double the strength of your of your yeast that you're adding to your beer. A way to do that with, whilst saving some money, though, is to create a yeast starter. Yes. So what a yeast starter is is essentially a mini beer. Um, you take a little bit of dry malt extract and some yeast, and you mix it together in a um, flask. Okay. You, so you boil the yeast like you – I mean, I'm sorry, not the yeast, but the uh, DME like you usually would – just for a little while, so it gets incorporated in there. Those those sugars are are released into the liquid and whatnot. Cool it down and put it usually into an Erlenmeyer flask, a big flask or a flat bottomed container. Okay. And a lot of, what times a lot of people do is put it on a stir plate. You put a little, you get a little. It's a little uh, magnetic pill. Okay. That you put inside the the flask. And you put it on the stir plate, and that little pill spins. Right. And so then you put your yeast into there, and that and that activity helps to get the yeast going, and it eats the DME. And what it does when it when it does that is it creates more yeast. Could it be somewhat accurately described as you're ba- that's basically an appetizer 
for your taste. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> I just yeah. thought I just thought of this just hearing this description. It, it, it kind of is, it, it, <clears throat> and you know, to be honest, it's kind of the method that the um, yeast manufacturers use to create more yeast. We're just doing it on a much smaller scale, right? And it, it's a way to you know you can take a pack that has a billion yeast cells in it, and you can create a billion and a half or two billion. Okay. Um, before you pitch it in, so it can handle those higher gravities. Great point. Great point. Well, um, this uh, th- this next uh, point will be m- more geared towards uh, brewers in a commercial setting uh, versus a home setting. Um, although in a home setting, it it could apply depending on uh, depending on what kind of brew schedules that uh, that you have. Um, one thing that um, uh, one th- one thing that's uh, that's good to note is, let's just walk through a uh, fermentation just from start to finish. You cool your beer, add your yeast, um, ferment for seven to ten days. It's mm-hmm. all done. You rack your beer into either a keg or a secondary, and uh, what you're left with is uh, is trub down at the bottom, which is basically your exhausted yeast from the uh, from the initial fermentation. Um, Oftentimes, if you're not ready to remake that same style of beer, that yeast is just going to be discarded. Um, but if you're going to make that same style again, that yeast can be cultivated and uh, maintained for uh, future usage in that mm-hmm. in that same style as well. Yeah, you can uh, reclaim that yeast at the bottom. I uh, believe cultivation is the term, if I remember. If, if, if I've read that correctly. Re- reclaim and cultivation. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah absolutely. It. You're right. Okay. Um, it's why a lot of, like, the conical fermenters, like the uh, the um, fast rack fermenter cone. Right. You can actually take the – you can close it off, and then you can unscrew the bottom. And the idea is that that bulb at the bottom of that conical fermenter would just be filled with yeast. Okay. And that makes it really easy to reclaim, put in a starter – Get it going again and reuse it for a different for a different beer. So if I'm operating on a 15 barrel system and I've got a five barrel fermenter mm-hmm. and I'm making and I've been given instructions to make 35 you know uh, barrels worth of a uh, let's just say a Belgian for example, mm-hmm. I, you can use that same that same uh, that same yeast seven times to make to make seven different batches of that Belgian. You can. There's a point of diminishing return um, as as the different generations of yeast, because yes. that's essentially what you're creating. That makes you're creating sense. different generations of yeast. Okay. And as you go, they start to, well, mutate a little bit. Okay. And when they start to mutate a little bit, they, um, they, they, they change. And eventually it's a different strain than what you started with. And in, in a lot of times it's not a advantageous strain. So you got to be careful about that. Um, but you know, that's where, you know, molecular biologists and things come into play. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I've not had this experience directly and neither of us have where no. we've tried to use, use yeast a second time. <clears throat> Oh, I can't, what is wrong with my throat? <laughs> Got all the way through the show, and now I can't talk. <laughs> no, but I think we should. I think we should try to reclaim and cultivate some yeast. And, I agree. And, I agree. Uh, and, and see what we can do with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're uh, we're going to uh, be approaching a more appropriate uh, dark beer season very quickly. So uh, <laughs> you want to do a dark couple beer? back-to-back dark beers? Yes. Okay. All right. I get you. <laughs> All right. So, something but to think about. It's a good segue into this because there the last thing we should talk about is the fact that there is different strange strains for different styles. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. For every style of beer you can think of, there's at least one strain of yeast for that style. Oftentimes within the same company. Oftentimes. Yeah, like for uh, in Omega, for example, there's three different st- strains for um, for Belgian beers. Okay, yeah. There's A, B, and C, they call it. And it's, it's depending on what kind of flavors and characteristics you want in that beer. Right. Um, but using the, the right type of strain is important if you're trying to nail the style. 
Right. Because a wheat beer is going to give you those banana esters that we talked about earlier. A Pilsner beer is going to be very clean. You're not going to get a whole lot of influence from the yeast. You're going to just see the influence from the malts and things that you have in there. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they vary beyond that. But, you know, the different strains that you use are are very important for the different styles that you that you're brewing. That's a perfect night to, note to close out on. So, t- uh, oh, one, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. One last thing, though, is there is some school of thought that if you're not shooting for a specific style, you can take and play with that a little bit. You can make a, um, well, like we did a Pilsner with ale yeast, which is very much not the Pilsner style. Pilsner is a lager. Yes. Okay. But we made it with ale yeast just to see if we could mm-hmm. and how it came out and it came out pretty well it yeah, wasn't i liked it it tastes pretty much like a like a uh pilsner but it had a little bit of those ale characteristics mm-hmm. in it and and as it aged a lot more of those you know yeast fruit characteristics came through right and and we saw those present in there and um i'm thinking of one that emmett's did where they did a belgian a Belgian IPA. They did an IPA. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. They did an IPL. Oh, okay. okay. So an IPA, you know, India Pale Ale. Yeah. Usually made with ale yeast. They uh-huh. did an IPL, which is, they did an India Pale Lager, which they used lager yeast instead of ale yeast. Kept the temperature lower. Kept the temperature it. lower and yeah. and fermented it like a lager. Yeah, and it came out really well. Yeah. So it had the the hop characteristics of an IPA, but the lager characteristics of more crisp flavor, and you know, just like very subtle uh, yeast character inside of it. Right. Yeah. So you can play with it, and you know, you can do some things that some people will call you crazy, and who knows? Maybe you are. Maybe it won't turn out. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes it'll be a happy accident, and sometimes it'll be a good, um, you know, it'll turn out the way you're, you're hoping it will. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's cap it off and summarize by maybe just uh, breaking this down to a couple of points. Um, first and foremost, um, know the category of yeast that, you've, that, that you need to seek. Mm-hmm. Um, pay very close attention to the temperatures that the yeast is going to be active with. And... Develop a comfort level with making a starter. Yes. Because, uh, I, I mean, the, the use of a starter really uh, um, has compounding benefits. It does. It, it, it really does. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have obvious cost benefits because you can take a, a high-gravity beer and do it with one packet rather than two. Yep. You know, save a couple bucks there. But you're, you know the, the different strains that you're dealing with. You know that the, you know, while every, you know, if it's... Omega Belgian Dark Ale A, it should be the same pack to pack to pack to pack. Right. It may or may not be. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a starter and you're creating more f- from that original pack, then you know what you have. There you go. That's a perfect way to cap off uh, cap off the discussion. Mm-hmm. This is really good. Really good. This is yeast, ladies and gentlemen. Our disgusting <laughs> our friend. Our disgusting friend. <laughs> It smells terrible, and you know it, it ferments our beer. It car- it carbonates our bottles, you know, and it's uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna uh, sneak uh, do a little sneak preview of our next project, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, George and I are going to uh, evolve and uh, and make uh, make an experiment into uh, lagering, which we have never done before. And we're going to make the added step and do a decoction mashing project, uh, making a classic Pilsner, uh, making it the true way, which is with decoction mashing and lager temperatures. By the way, everyone I've talked to has told me I'm nuts to even consider that. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. Go big uh, or go home. (laughs) Go Go big or go home, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's the ultimate takeaway here. So I I imagine that the uh, topic for... uh, for the uh, for the next um, 
uh, next episode, uh, as far as the lesson, will probably be uh, decoction mashing because we're going to learn a lot from uh, from doing this for the first time. And it's going to be something that we're going to want to talk about for sure. Yeah. So stick with us. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Hit us up on social media. Uh, take us a uh, look at us on Facebook as uh, a nice place to brew. Uh, look us up on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Nice Place to Brew. And check out our website at www.aniceplacetobrew.com. And don't forget to leave us a review. Communicate with us. We love hearing from you. Um, and we want to make the make the make the show that you guys want, and uh, and we're gonna we'll keep uh, we'll keep it coming. One thing that I wanted to know too, um, we like I said, we've been we decided to be more active on Instagram with video, and part of that is we started a, a YouTube channel. Yeah, oh, shame on me for not bringing that. Yes, <laughs> a nice place to brew does have a a, a YouTube channel. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Um, I think, just it's, look I us think up. it's a nice place to yeah, brew. Yeah, just look us up, a nice place to brew on YouTube, and it's one of the channels that comes up. Yeah. So, yeah. there you go. Well, we look forward to uh, to more shows in the future, more videos in the future, and uh, and more beer. So, to sign us off, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers.